and welcome back to First Time Long Time on the Voice Podcast Network. I'm your host, Roman, with my co-host, Nathan. Good to be here again, Roman. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, been a great week in sports, great week for sports, great week in sports. Um, one of the biggest uh, events across the world this week has been the Euros, the soccer tournament or football tournament, if you would. Um, and later on today, we're going to have a couple first-time guests, uh, Diego and Steven, two voice staff writers. But first, we're going to go back to this week in sports history. We're going to take it all the way back 10 years to 2011, when Novak Djokovic won his first ever Wimbledon title. He has now won five titles and is generally considered one of the greatest um, tennis players of all time. Um, but back then, he was still definitely... I don't even know if he was third rate compared to Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer. Um, and no one really could tell that this is where things were going to go. Um, Will Shanahan, the great halftime sports writer, um, wrote a piece in our final issue this year about Novak Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, and about how the three have defied logic by continuing to win as long as they have. Um, but 10 years ago, Novak Djokovic was, a, was an unknown. Um, and Nathan, what, what are your thoughts on like the just the – the difference 10 years can make in creating a legend like Djokovic, you know, hate him, like him, whatever, but he's a legend in tennis. Yeah. Well, I definitely fall on that first group uh, when it comes to Novak Djokovic. Um, we're blessed to be able to see these three generational players um, just continue to carry on the legacy for as long as they have. Um, I, I will say that I think, you know, something I don't I don't mind players having supreme self-confidence as long as they back it up. And, you know, Djokovic has backed it up for sure. He's won he's won so many titles over the course of his career. Um, but at the same time, it's almost like he talks even more like that. He talks even more than his ability, which is which is impressive in and of itself. But um, I don't think you could peg me as a Djokovic fan necessarily. But what he's done just strictly on the tennis court, you know, there's a legitimate case for him to be the greatest. There is. I believe so. It's pretty incredible that, you know, this is kind of the what the piece that Will wrote, which um, we'll probably link in the podcast description. Um, but the fact that we're living in a time with like the possibly these three greatest players of all time are all playing together. Like imagine that even one of them wasn't around and there was only two of yeah. them. They've combined for about almost 60 grand grand slam championship titles. Imagine if those were only distributed with two or if there's only one of them, it's, it's just, it's just stunning. I mean, obviously you couldn't keep up the pace every single time and people have missed different ones, but I think this is, this is a, a case of, you know, in, 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 ten, in 10 more years time, um, there's going to be a lot of new young tennis stars who, grew up on Djokovic, grew up on Federer, grew up on Nadal. And it's going to be more stratified because it just has to be. There's no way there could be three people who dominate the sport as much as they have. And I'm kind of excited to see what this next generation looks like because they're going to be, you know, they're going to be influenced by guys like Djokovic and how they play. There's going to be brash players like Djokovic. It's going to be exciting to watch. For sure. I think I think it also helps. to. We talk about growing the game a lot. It, it does help to grow the game. Because, you know, 50% of the people like him, 50% of the people hate him, and 100% of the people tune in to watch him. Yep. Because they yep. feel very strongly one way or the other. No, that, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, I think that's one that's one thing tennis does really well is I feel like they, men's and women's, you know, Serena Williams and, and Naomi Osaka um, are just stars. And they get marketed as stars. And everybody knows them. Everybody knows those names. Um, and I think tennis as a whole does a good job of making you want to tune in when these people are playing. It does take okay. them a little bit of time to convert, and there are definitely complications, but it's definitely there. And I will say, too, um, that tennis is sort of a crystalline form of individual success. Mm -hmm. It's all on you. You know, your performance going forward, that's what matters. Um, and so that, that's, that can be just as compelling as – playing on a team because it because the the drama around one person deciding everything like that that's that's definitely that's definitely worth watching worth tuning into worth learning about worth worth growing 
Oh, 100%. And that is this week in sports history. Going to a more general look around the sports world, um, another thing that came out this week is a landmark change in uh, policy in the college landscape with the, na- the new name, image, and likeness rules. Um, and I think we'll probably have a separate, maybe even a full court press podcast on this at some point to talk more about what this means for Georgetown. But just on the whole, Nathan, what does it mean that college athletes are going to now be able to get paid for their name, their image, and their likeness? Well, in my mind, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Like this is like, this is like a, when you, when you stop and think about it, this is a very, very minor concession that the NCAA is making because they're essentially saying, Hey, you can go out and do, do things and make money on your own. We're not even getting into some of it. We're not even getting into the rents that athletic departments generate just be just from these players values when they're not actually paid their worth. And they actually have to go out and like the most they could do is go out and earn more money, um, that still doesn't accurately reflect their worth, but it's a start. It's a very important start. It's long overdue. Um, you know, this is the culmination of, this is the culmination of work starting with Ed O'Bannon finding mm-hmm. himself in the NCAA college basketball video game. Um, it's long overdue, long overdue. It's, it's, it's kind of, you're right. It's, it's the bare minimum, you know, you should be able to get paid if someone buys your jersey or you sign a picture of your face. Um, and it's going to be an exciting time for college athletes. Um, I think it's it's just going to give people a chance to to kind of start off earlier than, you know, and give, give kids who are not going to go to the NBA or, you know, I, we're focusing on this from a basketball perspective, but all the sports can do this now. But if you're not going to go to the NBA, you're not going to get those big endorsements. You can still get on a local commercial, a local billboard, sign, sign, sign autographs when your team makes a sweet 16, you know, and you can get a little bit from that because you're putting in the work, you're putting in the time, simple as that. Um, and you, you deserve that. Um, and that's kind of exciting to see for me, at least. And I think NIL, what this, what is, what this is starting to do is it's laying the corruption of the NCAA bare. We're mm-hmm. seeing that legislators and Supreme court justices are essentially they're scoffing at the NCAA's notion that amateurism um, amateurism. It's essentially a form of wage suppression. It's essentially price fixing. Economists have been screaming this for decades that the NCAA is a cartel and behaves like a cartel um, and broader society is finally seeing that coming around to it and starting to say no. And so I look forward, I look forward to watching their castles collapse. (laughs) No, me too. Um, I got a question for you, Nathan. If you were a Georgetown athlete, where in the Georgetown area or what in the Georgetown area would you want to be sponsored by, or you would endorse if you had a choice? All right. So, so here's the thing we because Georgetown area and DC area are two very, very different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like George, Georgetown, there's a lot of good options. You obviously you want you want your own sandwich at YZ's. <laughs> you know, you want you want your own wings from Wingos, um, that sort of thing. But every DC athlete has to do the cheesy Eastern Motors uh, commercials. <laughs> Those that's just a requirement. Like if I don't see Dante Harris doing an Eastern Motors commercial. I'm going to be really upset. No, I, I agree. And I obviously, Nathan, for our viewers, grew up in the outer DMV area. I grew up on the West Coast. I don't know much. Um, but I would like to see those kind of commercials. I also think that you and I would uh, would do good work if we were sponsored by Los Hermanos. Um, the WWE oh, can rest. oh, yeah. Spread the message. <laughs> um, all right. We're going to shift in a different direction before taking a, a quick break before our main part of the pod. But um, the NHL Stanley Cup Finals has been going on this past week. Um, as of now, it is 3-0 lightning over the Canadians. Tampa Bay was always going to win this series. Um, they're doing it in a convincing fashion. They're going to be back-to-back winners. There's a lot to talk about by Tampa Bay. We, we're not going to talk about them. I think just the fact that the Montreal Canadiens made it this far is pretty incredible especially because the fact that it's been kind of a reset for them. You know, you hear NBA and NHL GMs saying, oh, we're not rebuilding, we're resetting. 
and it, it always ends up being something poor, some poor results for longer than it should be. The Canadians have turned this around in like three years. Um, and if some of it is on, you know, veterans like Carey Price and Shea Weber, um, you know, returning to form and other parts have been rookies like Cole Caulfield or Nick Suzuki playing a lot, playing up to their potential. Um, but I just want to really quick touch on because Nathan, you've had experience with goalies carrying their teams deep into the playoffs. Um, what are, what are you reminded of when you see Carey Price um, dominating up until the Stanley Cup Finals, where he hasn't been bad? The Lightning are just bad. Yeah, um, it was pretty unsustainable. You know, Tampa Bay is eighteen million dollars over the salary cap. Uh, so, so you know, winning. Winning in any more than five games for Tampa would have been pretty embarrassing for them, in my opinion. Um, it reminds me a lot. Carey Price's recent stretch reminds me of Lundquist's playoffs against the Caps, where, um, you know, Lundquist was the best goalie in the world, the best goalie of his generation for a reason. It was it was always on full display come playoff time, and the Rangers didn't quite have the skaters to put him over the top. But um, – but yeah, I think I see a lot of teams trying to develop um, in a similar way to what Montreal has done, where they have they have they're they have a you know a, a generational backstop and um, young exciting skaters, and I think really what it is it's a referendum on um, the way that the Capitals have chosen to build their team where they don't play young talent and they sign these veteran guys that are on the wrong side of 30, all of these top skaters, especially the, especially on their forward lines, you know, the Phil, Phil Deneau, Brendan Gallagher, Suzuki, Toffoli, uh, Cole Caulfield, Kotkaniemi, Josh Anderson. These guys are all on the right side of like 27 or 28, which is mind blowing to think about. They can, especially guys like Suzuki and Caulfield, they can only improve. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of took Mark Bergevin as a joke GM, you know, and I still think that it took Carey Price's like way overperforming to get him there, but you're going to, for, for better or worse, you will see teams try to build like that and try to um, try to pay goalies ridiculous contracts to, uh, to be able to take them far. I mean, I know a thing or two about a goalie not taking you that far with Martin Jones for the San Jose Sharks playing pitifully. I mean, he, he led us to a Stanley Cup in 2016, a Stanley Cup final. Let's be very clear about that. In 2016, he did have a good season. But then we paid him like a top tier goalie and he has not performed like it. it so it takes a little bit of you got to it does all come back down to the to the goalie. But you have to have the right one. Otherwise it's going to be hamstringing your cap. And unless you're the Tampa Bay lightning, you got to follow by those rules. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, it's nice to see. I like Carey price. I, I think he's a good guy and I'm, I'm glad he's been able to perform up to his expectations. This, um, the Stanley cup finals. Um, but it's going to be funny because like you said, I think other teams are going to start following this, you know, hold on to some, some of your vets trade your some good young, like they traded Max Pacioretty, obviously, um, but they got Suzuki back for that. Um, you know, they're going to be trying to do that. But unless you have a Carey Price type or in the, you know, Shea Weber type who, yes, he has a big contract, but he's also playing up to it right now. He's still a first pairing defenseman. Um, it's not going to come out the same. Yeah. It took Shea Weber quite a while to get back up to that though. True. <laughs> which is, which is impressive that he got back at all. I never, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought. Um, I pegged it either, but you know, and it takes a bit of luck. They're they're Corey Perry's husk is on their first power play <laughs> line. So um, the fact that they're in the finals is pretty incredible. It's just it's just laughable that Vegas lost to this team. Like that is <laughs> pathetic. That's actually pathetic. I want any Christmas Vegas for fans, the rest of the hockey world. Yeah, I want any Vegas fans listening to to for us to tell you we we revel in your sadness. I hope you know that. I hope there's no Vegas fans listening. I'm gonna be honest. Like that's yeah, not a market that I really want to be targeting. Like if if Vegas fans are into into this podcast, 
then we've got some serious problems and we need to restructure some things. <laughs> Vegas fans, if you're out there, please email our secretary, Ethan Cantrell, EBC49 at georgetown.edu. All right. That's uh, a look around the sports world. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we're going to be joined by Diego and Steven. And we're back. Um, we're very excited to be joined by two voice staff writers today. Um, and I'm going to let them introduce yourselves. Diego, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. I'm a first time caller, long time listener. Uh, Diego here, uh, all the way from Madrid, Spain. And very excited to be here today. And I'm Steven, first-time caller, long-time listener, um, also senior with the rest of us um, on campus right now. Uh, can't wait for sports to get back in person. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so really coming in from, from everywhere right now. Um, you two guys are obviously huge fans of soccer um, and have been watching the Euros 2020 in depth um right now when you're recording this um it is sunday the quarterfinals just ended um so only three matches left to go the semifinals and the championship um or maybe there's a third place game i'm not sure but no one really cares about third place um so i was just wondering if you guys would mind you know let's go through the quarterfinals games that just happened maybe touch on what's happened in the tournament so far before that um, and then a little bit later, we can go into predictions and different feelings. So, you know, I feel like it's fitting. Let's just start off with the, uh, the, the Spain-Switzerland match. Uh, Diego, if you want to start off with us and tell us how, what your thoughts were going in that match and how that went for Spain. Yeah, for sure. I think it was a huge upset in the round of 16 for Switzerland to beat France, especially going 3-1 down um, in the last 20 minutes and then going into extra time and winning in penalties. I think that was, that was a huge upset. So obviously from a, from a fan perspective, it was, it was great to play Switzerland instead of France. Um, uh, they're a much weaker team or not weaker, but um, they don't have as much individual talent, you could say. Um, so that was a, a great upside from Spain, but I thought Switzerland was a, is a great, uh, greatly prepared team, uh, you could say. So they defend very well. They play very well as a team, which is not um, not seen that often, especially in international teams because they only play together once or twice every year. So that was very interesting. They have a couple of good players, obviously Shakiri being probably the most well-known as well as Shaka in the Premier League, both of them. Um, but I think they're a very competitive team, which they're very hard to beat, which they've shown uh, this whole tournament. Um, so I thought also from the Spain's perspective, uh, we've been playing okay, uh, not great. Uh, I really liked how we played the first match against, uh, Sweden, even though it was a nil-nil tie, uh, which is obviously not great. Um, but I, th I think we've been, uh, that match we started very well then against obviously Poland, um, not great. Lewandowski is always a threat, which... I'm sure Steven can talk about, um, but it was it was a tough match, especially going one. I think going one nil up, it was a very similar match to the one we saw against Switzerland when Spain went up early in the game. Um, we tried to slow down kind of the pace of the game, which is not something I like to see because it, it kind of turns into boring soccer. Um, but uh, that's, I guess, a way to play the game. But then... The two times we tried to do that when we went up early, we've ended up um, tying the game. And then against Switzerland, obviously went into an extra time. Um, and then the PKs were just crazy. Um, probably Steven can attest one of the worst shootouts in, in the history of the game. But I'm really grateful it was since we missed very early on and then we're able to recover. So, yep. Anything you're going to say, Steven? Um, yeah, I think it was interesting that you brought up um... – the first game against Sweden, uh, no, no draw. Uh, once again, they dominated possession in that game, but just couldn't find the back of the net, which is also what happened um, against Switzerland. Uh, they dominated in possession um, and also had like close to 30 something shots, um, but weren't really able to like, uh, well, Summer had an amazing game. So that, that's also what denied them a lot of their shots on target. Um, but other than um, the own goal that was scored in the first 10 minutes, um, I feel like it would have been tough for Switzerland to go out if it was just an own goal. Um, so it, it was nice to see a, 
Shakiri get a goal back in the 68th minute. And also they weren't playing with uh, Granit Xhaka because he was on a suspension due to yellow card accumulation. Um, so it was interesting to see how they held together without one of their star players, um, especially in a team not dominated by stars. Um, so it was definitely nice by Switzerland, but the, they did not do too well when the penalties sent a few into the stands and uh, it, out of 10 shots, only four went in. So, you know, <laughs> penalties haven't been the greatest uh, strength for most players in the Euros, uh, which has been very surprising to see. A lot of people have been missing. Um, so it's sad to see them go out this way. But for Diego, it's a, a great thing to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Summer definitely, you know, didn't necessarily deserve to go out like that with his, with his guys making one PK. Um, but definitely, you know, Spain's moving on now, um, and their opponent is going to be Italy, who um, put together a, a pretty a pretty st- strong win against Belgium um, because I think Belgium was definitely one of the favorites uh, in the quarterfinals to come through. Um, and, I mean, Italy is obviously a fantastic defensive team, um, but they hadn't really necessarily played anyone of Belgium's caliber. Um, but... They ended up with a two-one win. Um, so, what what do you guys take away from that from that game against Belgium and just Italy's entire tournament so far, uh, where they've been pretty pretty dominant so far? Well, I, th- I think um, I think they're like one or two wins away from um, tying Spain's international um, winning, uh, well, not losing streak, um, <laughs> like around 40 ish games, um, which is insane. And like you said, they haven't really been tested until um, until Belgium. Um, they got off to a flying start, which really helped them um, out of the gate. Um, but I think it was a really close game, which showed in the second half. Um, Lukaku's PK helped bring things back together. Um, and without that, I think it would have been all over the place for Belgium in the second half. And um, like Italy coming off of a one nothing uh, win against Wales in the group stage, which was surprising, and then only beating Austria two one in the round of 16 um their defense looked very open in that game and Austria had a ton of chances but they just missed the net um so moving forward I think in the in the semifinal if Spain just puts pressure like they have been doing um on that uh, it'll be a very open game since both of them have uh, extremely attack focused teams and Italy has a very old defense um so um, especially with the left back going out with um, an awful uh, Achilles injury. Um, the defense is going to be less um, fluent. So moving forward, Spain Spain is going to have the option to break that down, but Italy's just going to have to try to stick together and maybe drop back a little more than they're used to in playing in the, uh, in the first few games of the tournament um, since they have lost that vital piece on the left wing. Yeah, I completely agree with Steven. It'll be a very interesting match. Uh, going back to the Belgium Italy game, I thought it was I think like the first five minutes. I was texting. I remember uh, a group of friends saying like, "Okay, let's see who who you want to who you want to face in the semis, right?" Because since Spain had already gone through, and I was like, "Oh, first five minutes, oh, we definitely want Italy." I thought Belgium was putting a lot of pressure right at the beginning for the first five minutes, but then Italy's high press started working. I think especially showing like a little bit of um, lack of game or or playing passing style from the back three of Belgium, probably Bermalian up, up there um, being the, the weakest point of that uh, back three. Um, so that's, that just showed uh, how efficient Italy's high press style can be, especially against obviously the, the weaker part of the Belgium side, which is their defense in my opinion. Um, so they, they got right off to uh, a very good, um, started with the Barella goal and then obviously Insignia's goal is nothing you can do about it. It was just a crazy um, top corner banger. Um, so um, I think Belgium tried to crawl back. Obviously the penalty really helped. Um, Doku was, in my opinion, one of their best players. Um, definitely having De Bruyne not fully fit was uh, something um, that was definitely not good for Belgium's. In my opinion, one of the best players in the world right now up there with with Messi uh, currently, I think. Um, so it was it was great to see um, Italy kind of show their game with that high press. And then in the second half, um, they tried to go a little more 
um, I wouldn't say defensive, but more like relaxed um, in order to like calm the game down a little bit, make sure they could maintain that lead. Um, Belgium still had two or three very good chances. Obviously, Lukaku missing that or missing that or Spinozola saving it, however you want to see it. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think Doku again making a couple great plays. But I thought, I thought it was a great game. In my opinion, Italy deserves the win. Uh, Belgium didn't show that. I would say that spark up run, um, which I, I kind of missed, in my opinion, more time, more playing time for Carrasco. I don't know if he was injured um, or, or not fully fit, um, but I, I don't remember him. I didn't even know if he made it into the game at this, in the second half, um, which was, in my opinion, dubious, especially having, um, I think they tried to pull back a little bit De Bruyne with Mertens coming on for Tielemans, if I remember correctly. Um, so trying to try to create some more in the in the offensive side. I think Italy's very comfortable defending back, especially with Chiellini, like Bonucci, both them very experienced center backs that have played every sort of match in the in the world of soccer. So I thought Italy is going to be a very good opponent for Spain semifinals. It's going to be a tough game. We'll see. I think the key is going to be in the in the high press or or. Uh, press after loss of possession, which Spain has been doing very well, uh, trying to recover the ball immediately after you lose it. Um, Italy has been trying to play that sort of soccer uh, also. So we'll see who tries to impone their their playing style. I think here Spain, I mean, obviously I don't want to uh, <laughs> say Spain is, I don't think Spain is favorite. I think Italy has been playing much better. But I think maybe Spain has better ball playing defenders in uh in my opinion eric garcia should should definitely start uh, next to laporte even though they haven't played that much for city this year but i think they're both very good ball playing defenders and obviously i think chiellini and bonucci they're very experienced but they don't have that high high quality with the ball on their feet uh, so maybe there we could see a little bit of an advantage for spain if if we high press them and don't let bonucci and Chiellini get clear passes to their midfield which is where they create all their game. So we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a definitely very interesting semifinal. And I think Luis Enrique and Mancini have some work to do to see how they they can um, play their strengths against their, their the other team. Yeah. I have one thing to add um, on Belgium's performance. Um, one thing that killed them was Chadley came on in about the 70th minute and had an instant um, spark put into the team uh, and then right after that one chance he created he went off with an injury four minutes later which completely killed their vibe and then also like um, Diego mentioned uh, KDB but and like his injury which he admitted at the end of the game he was playing with damaged ankle uh, ligaments uh, like so the the performance he put in while still being injured, I, I could not see myself sprinting down the field if my ankle was like that and all the chances he's, he was creating. Like Diego said um, that Italy deserved to win, but Belgium had some big chances that they, they did not take up. So I feel like if, if they um, started their push um, further or earlier in the second half, they would have had a better chance, but it seemed like they just started that offensive push way too late in the second half to get their equalizer and push to extra time. Definitely tough for Belgium to go out like this, especially Hazard also didn't play um, in this game. Um, but I think Doku having such a good game was a good sign for Belgium's future as their their golden generation, if you want to call it that, as is aging. Um, although they probably have one more World Cup run in them, at least I think, I don't know. Um, going to the other side of the bracket, the, the honestly, the probably the one of the more surprising teams that's still in the semis, um, especially after losing uh, their best player in the first game. Uh, but Denmark was able to carve one out against the Czech Republic, winning uh, 2-1, I believe. Yeah, 2-1 against the Czech Republic. Um, I feel like Denmark's story is something even the common fan can get around. But are they for real? Do they have a chance to win this thing? Like. They, and the Czech Republic was one of the weaker sides left in the in the quarterfinals, but um, they still played a pretty good game. Uh, what do you guys think? Is, is Denmark for real? Can they win two more games, or is this kind of the end of the Cinderella story? That's a tough question. I don't know. Um, going to the Czech Republic game, I think it was it was a very interesting game coming into it because I think Denmark has a great offense. They've been playing very fluent um, up front. 
uh, with creating a lot of chances, even though they don't, they don't have that uh, great playmaker, um, especially with Ericsson going out. Um, I think Damsgaard has stepped up playing pretty well. Um, and then I think the the two midfielders, Hoiberg and Delaney, are, are very good. Uh, for me, Hoiberg being one of the top CDMs at the moment, um, especially with this performance in the Euros, I think it's great. Obviously, they're missing they're missing some some talent up top. I don't think Braithwaite is is the guy you want to have like being your best uh, attacking threat. Um, Dahlberg has come in, played great, um, but I think they're they're very good offensively. They have probably some some more problems in the defensive side of the field, um, not because they lack good players. I think they have very good players in defense. Kiar has has shown great leadership, and then Christensen, obviously. Uh, plays plays for Chelsea. Vestergaard plays for Southampton. Uh, they both had pretty good solid seasons uh, in the Prem, and then their two wing backs have been playing pretty solidly in the Euros. However, I just think their scheme is not uh, fully uh, is not the best one for for a defensive types type of game. So, comparing that to Czech Republic, which is definitely definitely like a team that likes to sit back, um, be a very tough team to attack on, since they they leave very very little space for offenses um so i thought it was it was a very interesting like attack against defense um match coming in uh but then i was very surprised to see the czech republic concede so early in in a corner which is like one of their strengths uh i would say um and then conceding again right before halftime with that mali great cross obviously with the outside of his foot and then dalberg putting it in but um I was kind of surprised them conceding two goals in the first half. I thought that definitely threw off all their plans. Um, I thought they played kind of poorly on the defensive side. Um, I, I understand Denmark is, is a good attacking team, as I said before, but still, like, if you're the Czech Republic, your only option is to, like, try to limit the other team to zero or one goal, maybe. Um, so I thought they definitely underperformed, but then they really came on um, in the second half, like, Full firing all cylinders. I really liked how they started the second half. Uh, the, the, definitely the two changes at halftime had an impact. So the coach, kudos to him in that side. Uh, they scored really early and everyone thought we could have like maybe a game. Um, maybe the Czech Republic going a little more, more offensive, um, more attacking. But again, I think they lack that. I mean, you can have Patrick Schick, which is, I mean, he's been playing great, but he's not even that good. Um, honestly um, um, and if he's like definitely your only guy up front it's going to be tough to to do anything but it's like if you have to score two goals in a game to win the Czech Republic's not going to be um, that's not their strength they um, so it was it was kind of everybody thought oh maybe the Czech Republic can pull this back when they scored right after halftime but they didn't even create that many chances afterwards I thought it was it was more kind of um Denmark playing off the game, trying to play more slowly again, as I said before in other matches. Um, and I think they did that well, uh, got the dub. And then we'll see how they do against England. I think that's going to be a very interesting game. Um, I don't know. England has definitely shown great defensive work. I think zero goals conceded in the whole tournament. That's uh, incredible. Um, but again, I don't know what Southgate is planning. Um, yesterday, he did go with, with a four back, which I think it's what should England what England should do since they have so much attacking like ability and, and power and so many threats and so many options up front they can switch it up as much as they want um so we'll see if he kind of feels the um how Denmark is so good up front maybe he goes back to a five back like he played against Germany but I don't think that is something he should be doing and I don't know if after yesterday's good game against Ukraine. Uh, I don't know if you'll go back. I don't know. Southgate is, is, is some, is very unpredictable. Um, but yeah, we'll see. What do you think, Steven? Um, I'm on the opposite point with Denmark. Uh, I, th I think they do have a chance to take it all the way. Um, like, as you said, the Czech Republic started off very well in the second half, getting their goal uh, four minutes in. But, like, right after that, that, once that goal went in, Denmark just dropped and started playing as a team again. Um, and once when Denmark is playing as a team, as you said before, like, they have a lot of experience, but they're not, like, stars, other than Schmeichel bringing Leicester to uh, Prem Glory a few years ago. Um, 
they don't have uh, super big name players. Um, so their biggest strength is playing well together, similar to Italy, but like on a bigger scale, because Italy has some of the top players in top leagues. Um, but Denmark's biggest attribute is their teamwork. Um, so seeing that um, pushing forward, especially um, the defense against England um, in the semis, England does have a lot of attacking threats, but they also don't take a lot of their chances when they should. And they do dribble on the ball a little bit too much on the wing. Um, so uh, it will be tough because Kane did get two goals um, in the quarter. So he'll be looking to get some more in uh, in the semis, but I think they have a, a good chance, especially with Schmeichel and that. Um, so they have a good chance moving forward and going back to the first goal that was scored, which really shut uh, like threw off the uh, Czechs um, game plan. Um, there was a controversy on whether or not um, the corner kick should have been a goal kick or a corner kick. But honestly, that didn't really matter because, Delaney was left wide open at the back post for a header and you cannot leave anyone open at the back post like that, especially at this level in the quarterfinals of a major tournament. There were, there were a couple um, just free headers throughout the quarterfinals in a couple of the games, um, which was honestly surprising, but you know, and a mental lapse, that's, what's going to throw you off. Um, And I guess just, you know, as you guys were touching on the English performance, um, they doubled their total goals scored uh, in the tournament just in that one game. Obviously, Ukraine um, did a great job getting to the quarters. Um, they're not necessarily one of the strongest teams in the world, but still a pretty a pretty good performance. And Diego, you've been talking about how a lot of teams will take their foot off the gas pedal um, when they go up early, but England just kept scoring um, and really put that to bed. Um, I think they definitely came out looking good and. I think British fans are always a very um, pessimistic bunch um, for good reason, but I think they're they've they looked they looked great against Ukraine. Um, who do you who do who impressed you guys the most? Um, who's impressed you the most on the on the English side so far this year? Um, for me, I'd have to I'd have to go with Sterling, especially with all all the criticism he receives, especially in the English press. Um, not scoring any goals in a major tournament um, coming into the Euros, the first game scoring the winner and then being asked um, if his position, um, like if he's playing well enough to earn his position in the starting lineup, which he definitely has. Um, the three games before this that England won, he scored the winner in each game. And before Kane scored um, the second goal in um, the, the knockout round, um, Sterling was the only player to have scored for England. Um, so receiving that criticism, especially coming off a very poor end to the season with City. Um, as a City fan, I, I don't know how he got a start in the Champions League final, which was obviously a disappointment. But like being able to bounce back from that dip in your season and then regaining form for this has definitely been a highlight. Yeah, I agree with Stephen. Definitely Raheem Sterling has been their top performer. I think I, I want to highlight the duo that Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice have made in the in the midfield. I think both of them, I mean, they're definitely great players, but neither of them playing for top five or six teams in England, as, however you want to put it. Um, but I think Southgate has shown a lot of faith in the duo, and I, I, I think they've been playing awesome soccer. Um, I think they're probably the two – um, keys to their great defense, in my opinion, even though obviously the back line and the keeper have something to say about that. Pickford has been making some great saves when he's been asked to. Um, but I think Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips have been great. Um, I think I think I want to say about yesterday's game uh, with Ukraine is definitely, obviously they scored four goals and everyone is a little bit like, oh, England is now actually firing in all cylinders. They've been playing great. Uh, they haven't been so good offensively until yesterday when they scored four goals. As you said, they doubled their goal tally in the tournament. Um, but I think coming right into the second half, Ukraine maybe had some something, some switches in halftime and that Maguire goal right, right at the beginning of the second half really like killed them. So obviously I don't think England took their foot off the gas, but I think it was more, I don't think it was England's super uh, great attacking soccer that made them score four goals. I think it was Ukraine just like, 
stopped really. They knew they couldn't get back into that game right after uh, after that very early goal in the second half. So they kind of just uh, let the game go through and they didn't really care if they scored two or three or four more goals on them. Um, so I don't think it was England's, um, you could say, pro or England's uh, benefit, but I think it was more on the Ukraine side of things here for the four goals. Oh, yeah, I definitely have to put that down to them going 120 minutes against Sweden in the game before. They just looked drained right from the start. Um, you could see that in three of the goals, I believe, coming off the of set pieces or like immediately after. Um, just that drop in focus with balls coming in off of corners, free kicks, and so forth. Um, there's just free headers and shots at goal for um, three out of the four goals. So it wasn't really down to England. Um, just like uh, creating these amazing chances, uh, Ukraine just switched off defensively. So like you got to give England credit for scoring the chances they got, but um, you can't uh, you can't be like oh England's a favorite now just because they scored four goals against Ukraine. This is the furthest the uh, that Ukraine has been in um, the Euro. So like one could say maybe this game was one step too far, but um, it's an achievement for the Ukraine side because. Going into a tournament, obviously you want to think, uh, win, win everything, but you have to have realistic expectations and beating where you've been before in a tournament is a huge achievement for a nation. So um, I have to give them credit, but I just think it was one game too far for them. Yeah, definitely an achievement. Um, so those are the four quarterfinal matches. Obviously a lot happened to lead up to that, but um Let's uh let's get into the picks if you guys don't mind. This is going to be coming out before the semifinals, so whatever you say, Cannon will be used against you. Um, but uh, why don't you guys just give me what what your thoughts are on and who's going to move on from the semis and and who who do you guys think is going to be the champ? Um, knowing everything that we know, obviously, um, it's tough to go against your own team uh, when you're picking. So I'll just put that out there right at the beginning before I actually say anything. Um, I think the four teams that are left, you have three very good collective sides with not like not a clear star in the team or, or a couple of stars. So you have Spain, Italy, and Denmark. They're, they've been playing very well collectively, I think, and that's been their strength uh, until now. And then you have England, who has a lot of attacking talent, young talent, um, however you want to say it. Uh, but I don't think they've shown that team strength so far um, or that playing as a collective. So I don't know if that could maybe um, be something they regret at the end of this tournament. Um, so for that semifinal, I, I'm going to have England going through. I don't think uh, going against Steven, I don't think Denmark has that much. Um, uh, I don't know that. I don't think Denmark has what's what it needs to go through to the final. I think obviously they've done great to get to the semifinal, especially after that initial shock they suffered. I think that is at the end, maybe beating even on a strength, they come together as a group a lot and uh, they've been playing very well, but I don't think they have, especially that defensive discipline or, or tactically defensively what's uh, required to um, hold off England and, especially with their talent. If, if Harry Kane starts to get in the mood of scoring goals, um, Raheem Sterling has been playing great. Straight on Sancho gets into the team now after he signed for United. Um, and that's off his head. He played decently yesterday. You also have Bukayo Saka has been playing great, I think, uh, in earlier games. Um, then Mason Mount, Jack Grealish. There's just too many things um, that England can do against you. So I think England will go through to the final. And then in the other semifinal, I'm going to pick Spain, obviously. Um, I'm sorry, I, I just can't go against my team um, in this one. But I think it's going to be a very tough, tough game. Italy, for me, the favorites going into it. Um, but as I said earlier, I think if Spain is able to capitalize on that high press and, and not letting uh, Berardi and Barella and Jorginho play the ball too much, um, especially I think Morata has a, a lot of work rate in him and he can apply the pressure up front to their center backs and their, and their outside backs. Like I think Emerson will probably be playing on the left and De Lorenzo, neither of them are great stars. Chiellini and Bonucci, as I said before, very experienced, but not the great playing with the ball. Um, so I think if we have our front three, which 
Morata probably Ferran Torres will be in there too. And I think Gerard Moreno will start um, as the other one since Sarabia is kind of hard. And I, don't, I hope Dani Olmo doesn't start. Sorry for him, but um, not my favorite here. Um, so I think if the front three um, are able to press and Luis Enrique has a good pressing, I think that's where Spain could have, especially if we capitalize on those um, steals up front, um, stealing the ball and then attacking directly, which is something we've been missing, I think. And then obviously we're going to have to make our chances. If you don't make your chances against Italy, you're screwed. Um, which is something we've also been missing this tournament. I don't know. Um, I just got to pick Spain here. And then in the final, oof, I think here is where I think whoever comes out of the Spain-Italy semifinal will be the winner of the of the Euro. Um, I mean, I'm going to pick Spain here, but even if Italy is the one that wins um, against England, I think those two teams do have the tactical and and the discipline and and that side of soccer that I think Denmark is missing a little bit because they're too unexperienced, most of them, in this sort of situations. Um, so I think whoever comes out of the Italy-Spain will be winning the Euros. So here I'll be picking Spain against England. Obviously a very hard game. I think that's where England's lack of collective soccer so far is going to hurt them. Um, that's what I think, but I don't know. Maybe the It's Coming Home fans don't agree with me. Um, so we'll see. What do you think, Stephen? Um, for me personally, I, I think the Italy-Spain game is going to be um, a very close game or just a very crazy game when it comes to goals. I, I, it, there's either not going to be a lot or there's going to be a ton. Um, so um, I, I think either way, it's going to be a one-goal game um, into, until things open up and like whoever's winning at the end of the game might pull in a second goal just because the opposing team is playing a lot more open trying to get that equalizer um, but with Spain's, um, Spain's pace up top two and um, with Italy suffering injuries um, in the back I think it might be, it's going to be tough especially with Ferran Torres having a great tournament so far to keep up with pace like his on the wings um, especially, um, especially when Spinozola was uh, is a huge part of their attacking play too. Taking the ball all the way upfield, whipping in crosses, not having that is going to change how they play. So I feel like that might affect them a little bit, especially with Chiellini and Benucci in the back. They're amazing players, uh, amazing achievements in their careers, but they're just really old and don't have a lot of pace. Um, so if you're able to get behind them, it's going to be tougher um, for them to get back and catch up. So I think Spain has it. It's also going to um, it's going to also be up to um, if Morata uh, wants to kind of show up and play. Um, so he's received a lot of criticism, answered back, and then also received criticism for missing more chances in the game despite scoring. So um, if he finds his uh, finishing boots. Um, It'll definitely be an interesting game um, up top for Spain. Um, their defense is a little, little iffy. Uh, as a City fan watching, uh, like Laporte obviously had an amazing first season when he joined the team, um, but this season has been off and on. Um, and watching Eric Garcia play, when Pep, uh, Pep loves him, but when he's in the team, I've just seen him, well, for City specifically, just make too many mistakes. Um, so like in big games, he, he is known to uh, not have a cool head um, and does give a lot of way, a lot of TKs, but he has been playing better in this tournament. Um, so seeing the two of them play together, especially since they have that experience playing two years with City um, will definitely help out the Spanish side. But I just think um, Spain's going to pull through unless they have um, another crazy own goal. Um like earlier in the tournament, which hopefully doesn't happen. But on the other side of things, um, I when, when I say that I think Denmark can pull things through, that, that's if England doesn't show up to play. Um, so you, you never know what you're going to get from an England side. Like Scotland was able to hold them to a nil-nil draw at home at Wembley, which is also another factor playing into when England plays. England's playing at home. Um, England is easing up the restriction and there's going to be 60 or so thousand fans at Wembley. So just having that home support for the team, um, I think is going to be huge, especially since they haven't been back in forever. Like they've 
they've been at home for the entire um, the entire group stage, but they just haven't had those numbers to support them. Um, so having that back, I think, might be a little a little bit too much for Denmark, um, especially if they're firing on all cylinders up front. Um, but it just comes down to their defense. I I don't think they've been tested too much um, um, through the tournament so far. So if Denmark gets some early chances or scores like they did against the Czech Republic early on, um, I think they'll have a good chance. But if England get an early goal or take a lead at some point in the first half, um, I, I think it'll be tough for Denmark to come back, especially since they don't really have that attacking threat anymore or their creativity that they once had with um, Ericsson. Um, although in the last two times they played, they played twice in the Nations League um, last September and October. And then the first game they tied 0-0. And in the second game, Denmark only lost one nothing. So they definitely have like that recent experience of playing England. Um, but obviously those games were with Ericsson. So I think it's going to be uh, a little bit too much for them. I'd love to see them win, but I'd also love to see Raheem Sterling and Phil Foden move into the final. So I'm going to have to have to go with a Spain-England final, which also factors in, like what I said, with uh, the fan support and the increase in te- uh, attendance. I feel like um, if Spain is able to get an early goal on England, um, that might shut them down because they haven't been tested with that. Um, you don't know where their mentality is at. They haven't been scored on yet. So you don't know if they fall behind a goal, how are they going to react? And you haven't seen that yet. And having that go all the way to the semifinals uh, and not having that uh, reaction yet is a bit tough, especially if you suffer that in the final. Um, so I feel like um, England can pull one through. Uh, I feel like it might be a, a 2-1 game. Um, but a, as a neutral fan, uh, I'm hoping for lots of goals, extra time, but not PKs because PKs is just awful for any fan supporting the team and anyone in general. So I, I just hope it does not go down to PKs. But I think it's coming home. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, two predictions um, that are 100% going to be right. Um, looking forward to seeing England and Spain both lose now since you both picked them. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. You guys know way more than I do. Um, so I was happy to just let you guys talk. But I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, please come back on again sometime. And um, have a good day. For Nathan Chen, I'm Rome Peregrino. And that's it.